or pastors. Uh, the truth is that uh, non-Christians really haven't quite got a clue about that, by and large. I remember my wife uh, at the school gate when we were in Cardiff, and uh, one of the mums said to her, so what does your husband do? And she said, he's a pastor. And uh, she said, oh, when's he going to get a proper job? Well, there's encouragement there. But, but I wonder, you who are Christians here today, uh, if, if a pastor or an elder was to sort of come around your house or to meet with them, what do you expect them to do? What do you expect a pastor should, that should be doing? Now, I believe that Titus chapter 2 is a great help to enable us to understand what the Bible thinks elders and pastors should be about. So, <clears throat> please open your Bibles to uh, page 1198. 1198, if you're using the church Bibles, 1198. And if you're visiting, let me tell you that we've been working through this book, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus. Uh, It's great to have visitors, uh, so I want you to know that's what we've been doing. And uh, the plan is that over five Sundays, we're going to examine Titus chapter 2. It's teaching that's directed at all the different groups uh, that Titus was going to meet in these churches in Crete. And we're going to go into uh, more depth in each of these groups in the coming weeks. But I thought it would be very helpful just to start by just looking at the whole chapter and see how the Apostle Paul instructs Titus to conduct his ministry amongst these churches in Crete. So let's read this. Titus chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive." For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is God's word. Now Titus is is not a pastor as we understand pastors today. He was left in Crete for a very specific mission. Uh, He was to straighten out, it says in the first chapter, straighten out these young congregations that were beginning to head off in the wrong direction. And his job was to appoint elders, uh, to appoint spiritual leaders within these congregations uh, to uh, help them stay on track. He was to appoint men who were godly men with a grip on God's truth. Those are the men he is to look for and to appoint in each of these congregations. And his job really was to do this in an intense period of months rather than years. Uh, You read at chapter 3 that Paul is saying to him, look, uh, when these other guys come, make your way to visit me as soon as possible. So Titus isn't sort of your typical pastor based in a church for years. He's got an intense little mission going on here. But I believe that the pattern of ministry that Titus is called to here is is one that actually uh, stands for those who are called to be elders, to be pastors. I'm using the term elders and pastors almost interchangeably here, really. The job of the elder is to pastor, the job of the pastor is 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 of an elder. Uh, But I think what we have here, as he teaches Titus about how he should behave, this really is setting the tone for ministry that... Paid pastors, at the very least, and elders should be engaged in. Now, if you have a a short attention span, and this has already been too long for you, let me tell you the main point of my sermon. So I can get that in now. Maybe you can write it down, and then you can meditate on it if you somehow, for some incredible reason, get distracted. I can't imagine how that could happen with with the energy I'm going to put behind this sermon. But nevertheless, here's my statement. Pastors must teach godliness motivated by the gospel for the glory of God. It's actually not up there. That, 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 that's my first point, which is great you get to see that. But this is my main point of the sermon. Pastors must teach godliness motivated by the gospel for the glory of God. That's where I'm going. Point number one. Pastors must teach godliness. Do you see that in chapter 2 verse 1? You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. What is the job of pastors? Pastors are called to be teachers. It's a role where you're called to speak. We are are called to communicate. Where you are to instruct. It It is the job of teaching people. And where would we be without teachers? I know the young people are very sad this week that you have half term. And, and you're thinking, I, I'm missing out. I would love to be learning this week. Well, you, you might, you're not thinking that, I know that. You, you, you're dreading a week going by like that and you've got to go back. But let me tell you, if you're in school, you should be thankful that you're getting an education. There are children in this world that, that are dreaming of the hope that one day they can get an education. And here it's laid on for you. So it's a terrific thing to have teachers. Students, I want to remind you, it is a privilege to be at university. Uh, All truth is God's truth. And you should be busy making the most of this time as a student. And that's not maximizing the uh, out-of-hours opportunities. That's about maximizing the time of study. Learn everything you can from your lectures. Learn knowledge. Learn wisdom. Learn about God's world so you can be useful in it. It is a privilege to have teachers. 
Now what is it that the, that the pastor is supposed to teach? Well there it is in verse 1. He is to, firstly, he is to teach sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Now for some of you, you've already begun switching off. You've, sound doctrine, it's a very dull sort of notion. You think doctrine, oh yawn, you know. Do we have to? It seems so dull. For some it even seems divisive. Doctrine seems to be a minority interest of the uh, exceedingly dull folk who like reading books. Who uh, uh, Anyway, I won't go on there. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, doctrine is central to the Christian life. Look at the words used for doctrine in these verses. In verse 5, it is described as the word of God. This is what doctrine is. God has spoken and we are learning about God. Now, as however fantastic your subject in, whether, whether it's, it's Spanish, geography, medicine, dentistry, nothing can compare to this study. This is, this is the study of all studies, the study of God, to know God. And look at verse 10. It is the teaching of God, our Savior. Now, that's what doctrine is about. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? The God who is the Savior. Now we know what salvation's about this week, don't we? We know what rescue's about. We watched with, with joy as we saw these miners being extracted from deep underground. Uh, the longest that any miner has survived underground. And, and amazingly, the best technology was brought in and they were rescued out. And we rejoice at that salvation. Well, do you know what? The Bible tells us that there is a, a, a worse predicament than being buried underground with just a few tins of tuna. And the Bible tells us that there is a wonderful plan of salvation. It tells about a God who is a savior. Something that's more incredible than drilling a hole sort of uh, 700 meters underground or however deep it was. Uh, it, 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 is, it is about God who came in human flesh. A God who comes, a God our saviour. And, and really, that's why it is important that pastors teach sound doctrine, because it's all of that. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of salvation. And there could not be anything more important, anything more significant than this. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone has a certain view about God. The important question is, are we good theologians? Do we have an accurate knowledge of God? Do we have a true knowledge of God? And the inference of verse 1 is that pastors play a vital role in teaching about sound doctrine. Titus is told, you must teach. In the original language, uh, it's, it's emphatic, but you teach. And the reason he says, but you teach is because there were in Crete other teachers, as we learned last week, as Andy Prime taught us, teaching false things about God, false things about the gospel. And these false teachers are teaching foolish things. And that's why Titus must teach the truth, why he must teach sound doctrine. That word sound is an interesting word. If you trace it through the, the New Testament, you'll see it's often used in the Gospels of uh, someone being made whole, a sick person being healed and being made healthy, uh, being made sound again. And, and that's a wonderful sense of what is behind this. Now, when I studied dentistry, like a, a lot of other medical people, um, I was uh, studying human anatomy. And I had to 
dissect a human body. You know, before you uh, can do the job, you need to understand where the bits are supposed to be, how they fit together. And then you start learning about uh, diseases and when things are not in the right place and they're not looking like they're supposed to look. And then if you get the fun job of being a surgeon, you get to go in there with a scalpel and cut the bad stuff out or repair it or something like that. Well, just like the human body, doctrine is made up of interconnected parts. And the truth is that the pastor is to teach in a way that doesn't leave any of those parts out. He's not to allow for a maimed theology. A maimed theology is like a maimed body. It's, it's, it's not fully functional. And he's to make sure that there are no diseased parts to that doctrine. He must teach sound doctrine. See, the result of false teaching about God is it has a serious consequence in the real world. It, it warps people. It leaves them in false thinking and it leaves them in their sin. It damages families and it makes unhealthy churches. Churches that no longer have a message of hope uh, to a lost world. False teaching is terribly serious and so it's vital that pastors must teach healthy doctrine. But actually, if you're observant, that's not the main point of verse 1. That's just an inference from verse 1. The main point of verse 1 is this, that uh, Titus must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. That is, pastors must teach godliness. And that's what we see in chapter 2. I mean, what is godliness about? Well, it's, it's about lots of practical things. It's, a, it's about ethics. Uh, it's, it's focused on how they live their lives practically in Crete. We're going to examine it over the next uh, four weeks. Things like uh, how Christians should use their words, how we use alcohol, how wives should treat their husbands and children, how we go about our work in the workplace, and so on. These are very practical things, aren't they? And, and, and do you know what? God cares about those things. And it matters that we as a church examine these things. Pastors must teach not only belief, but an appropriate behavior that flows from that belief. Pastors are not just about doctrine, but about sort of the, the ethical duty that flows from that doctrine. These two things work together. See, someone puts their trust in Jesus and their life starts to change. You become born again. You become brand new on the inside. Your life is turned upside down almost. Everything is reorientated when you become a Christian. And there is a, a new Godward directed life. And then things in your life begin to change. Practical things will flow out of that. And that's right and that's good. That's natural when you have a true knowledge of God. That, that is exactly what will take place. God will do that in your heart. Now, that really doesn't go down well in our society, does it? <clears throat> we live in a culture that doesn't like people talking about capital T truth. Don't like people who like to be definite about God and such things. And it certainly doesn't appreciate people sort of coming along and saying, look, uh, there's a right way to live. And there's a wrong way to live. I'm not directing this particularly at you. It's just engaging you, you understand. There's a right way to live and a wrong way to live. Just so you feel fully involved this morning. 
This society doesn't like that. Many people in Edinburgh would find uh, these commands, would find this scripture reading at best quaint and at worst deeply offensive. Isn't that true? And the views of society definitely come in and influence congregations. And so some can get quite uncomfortable when a pastor gets up and teaches the Bible in, in this way. But I, I want you to know uh, that the reason why uh, we are teaching the Bible is not some perverse delight to um, upset the world around us. It is because we believe that this is the Word of God. Uh, this is not something that we got together as a little committee and made up a list of rules we thought would be helpful for our society. No, we believe this has come from God. This is why pastors and teachers and elders must teach these things, teach both sound doctrine and that which flows from sound doctrine, the life that flows from that. And the truth is that as we do that, many in society and even some in the church may despise a pastor for it. Have a look at verse 15 of chapter 2. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Because it's God's word, you see. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. See, that tells you that is the context in which we are called to preach God's word. There will be those that will be tempted to despise the pastor, the elders, he teaches this. And, 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 and Paul says, don't let that put you off. Don't let that quieten you down. Don't let anyone despise you. You must teach godliness. So what do you expect a pastor to do when they meet with you, an elder? Please don't be surprised if we open the Bible with you. you know, please don't be surprised if we're talking about God with you. You hope a pastor does that, don't you? I would hope so. Don't be surprised if, if they talk about Christ with you. Don't be surprised if they talk about your life and whether, whether your life is fitting with your Christian profession. That is the role, the job of the pastor. And, uh, you know, we see it all through Scripture. We saw it in our Old Testament reading today, didn't we? Of Nehemiah standing up as a fine Christian leader who saw what was wrong, was willing to confront people and say, this is not right. And watch me, I'm going to change my practice and the practice of my officials. I will lead the way with a godly example. This is exactly what we see of, of, of godly leaders all through Scripture. This is normal Christian discipleship. This is loving Christian discipleship. Uh, if, if, you've, you know, if you've never had a Christian actually ever love you enough to rebuke you, I would be worried. Because the truth is we all need to be rebuked at different times. We all need to hear that. Oh, you know when he said that or when he did that, was that quite wise? Oh, we need to love each other enough to engage with each other in that way. So that's my first point. Pastors must teach godliness. Secondly, Pastors must model godliness. Take a look at verse 6 and 7. Uh, he's called to address the young men in this way. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Young men are only given one thing to do. There's a lot you can build on that. <laughs> We're going to reflect on that in the coming weeks. There's only one thing that they've got to work on. Be self-controlled. 
Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled. Verse 7, in everything, Titus, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. The pastor must not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And the truth is that we learn by imitation in life, don't we, most of the time? I love it if you get a brand new, if you get a chance to hold a little brand new little baby and you start poking your tongue out to the little baby like this. Do you know what the little baby does? It starts poking its tongue back at you. As a practically as a newborn baby. We learn by imitation. We grow up imitating those that are around us. Don't stick your tongue out at other people. That's very rude. Um, just thought I'd add that, just in case we have too much of that going on amongst the young people right now. You know, we learn the theory, but then it really helps to see it worked out, don't we? Do you want to know how to become a surgeon? Well, the bottom line is you go to a school and they give you all the theory, and then you go into the surgery room, you go into the theater, and you watch some senior doctor getting the scalpel out, having a hack, uh, and, you, uh, and you watch him do one. And then next time, you assist him. And you have a go with him. And then the third time, it's over to you and he watches you do it. That's basically how they do it. That's basically how they do it. And so you can pray by the time it comes to your surgeon, he's been doing it quite a bit, right? That's how you learn to do it. We learn by imitation. It's one thing to have the theory. We want to see it worked out. And when you become a Christian uh, and you're starting to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then alongside the Bible, what do we do? Well, we look around us, don't we? We look around at older Christians to see, well, what, how does this actually work out? That's what we learn practically about discipleship. We, we look and say, oh, yes, I, I see that. And at the very minimum, new Christians should be able to look at the elders and paid pastors to see what a godly life looks like. And so Paul urges Titus, be an example in what it means to do good, which is a, which is a lovely summary of what it means to be godly. What does it mean to be godly? Well, to be about doing good. Here's the sobering pra- uh, phrase for me as a pastor. In everything, in everything, set an example. I, uh, I was confessing my sins before God this morning as I reflected on this. In everything, set an example. Pastors are called not only to teach with their lips, but with their lives. And there should be no doubt that Titus is serious about his teaching, that there's an integrity about him, there's an authenticity to his life that fits with what he teaches. Now please know that as a pastoral team, we're serious about desiring to be godly models, but we are, each one of us, aware of ways that we fall short. So please pray for us. Please pray for us. Pray that we grow in our knowledge of God, but pray that we grow in our godliness as well. And to this end, you know, we've enrolled in, a, in an online biblical counseling course. We meet Tuesday afternoons. We're listening to lectures. We're submitting coursework to some lady called Mary in the United States who has a little chuckle and sends back a grade, you know. And uh, part of this is that we come up with a, a self-counseling project where we're picking one area in, in our lives where we are wanting to change. Ways that we, we, we think that maybe there's sin 
that, 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 that persists with us. And we wanted to change in that. And we're picking that area and we're holding each other accountable in that. And we're, and we're committed by God's grace to wanting to grow in practical godliness. We're committing amongst the elders as we begin a new eldership course that we will uh, honestly talk to each other and evaluate with each other to help us grow in practical godliness. It is vital for a healthy church that we have elders and pastors who teach godliness and who model godliness. It is absolutely essential. But we need to see here, it's not just the job of elders and paid elders, is it? who are called to model godliness. This is expected of older Christian believers within the church. So the pastor is not only to teach and model godliness, he is to teach others to teach and model godliness. Did you notice that? It's most obviously here with regard to teaching women. Have a look at verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now, why is he told to do that? Well, verse 4, then they, the older women, can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure. i never forget the Bible study when I recently got married and I, I said innocently, I can't understand why this commands in Scripture that women have to be taught to love their husbands. And the older women looked at me pityingly. But anyway, that was a side note. I now understand it needs to be taught. Um, And when it comes to teaching the younger women, Paul wisely suggests that this should not be the personal focus of the ministry of Titus. Titus, as a man, is to focus on more directly teaching the younger men. But it's not appropriate for him to be in the same way teaching the younger women. Women. When it comes to one-to-one discipleship, then with the exception of a married couple, then really men should mentor men and women should mentor women. And we ignore that practical wisdom at our peril. We need older women to be teachers of what is good to our younger women. And so I am so encouraged by the women's ministry team here at Charlotte. It is, it is an evidence of God's grace, something that really encourages me to see the way that they have been teaching and encouraging this sort of biblical mentoring, encouraging the older women not to be shy about taking some younger women under their wings and reading the Bible with them and sharing their lives with them in this way. And in fact, the, the, the godly example of the women spurred the men. So we, we, we heard about these brunches. We thought, we'll get in on this. And so the men were spurred by the example of the women to uh, have our men's breakfast a couple of Sundays ago, uh, Saturdays ago. And we had 85 men come explore biblical manhood and biblical mentoring. And uh, we encouraged uh, men to start reading the Bible with other men in the church. And there's some cards on the way out on the stairs if you want to know what's involved with that, if you didn't get one that time. And this sort of gender-specific teaching and mentoring flows from passages like this in Titus. It is appropriate that we gather all together, but there's also a place where we teach individual groups, uh, gender differences and uh, uh, different stages of life. This is quite appropriate, as we see in this household code of chapter, chapter 2. I think about my own life. Um, I grew up in a home where my dad was a lecturer at university and an elder in the church. 
where he was a preacher. I used to go out with him preaching up in the valleys and uh, here, you know, sit there and listen to him preach. And, you know, I'd, I'd be obviously at home watching his life. And I saw a man who knew the truth and who lived the truth, you know, behind the doors. I saw a man of integrity, authenticity. I saw a man who worked well and excelled in his career and yet uh, sacrificed to also invest in spiritual leadership in the church to care for the flock. I'm profoundly thankful for that godly example. Uh, As a student, I remember what it was to kind of go in my first year. I I came from a lovely little Christian home, very sort of closeted. uh, I was so naive and I came to university and my first year in the halls of, of residence was quite an education. And things were going on there that uh, I knew happened, but then it was happening in my little block. And every opportunity to indulge my appetites was there. Every opportunity, cheap alcohol, drugs readily available, girls very available, it was all on offer. And the thing that kept me going as a Christian in that time was coming Sunday by Sunday to church, to hear the truth being taught, and then to look around the room and see people at all different stages of life listening attentively, taking notes, wanting to obey it. I was not a weirdo living a godly life. I was behaving just as a disciple of Christ was supposed to live. And under those temptations, let me tell you, week in, week out, coming to church and witnessing godly men and women living their lives in obedience to God's word was such an encouragement to me. And I want to say to students here, don't give up on church. However busy you get, however many exams you have, set aside Sundays, come, fellowship. Be a part of the Christian Union. That to me was a great encouragement that kept me persevering because we need people who not only teach godliness but who model godliness if we're going to live godly lives. But why? Why live a godly life? Why is this important? You know, why does the Apostle Paul uh, take time to write all of this down? What's motivating this teaching? Well, my third and final point this morning is this. Pastors must teach motivated by the gospel for the glory of God. This is what drives it all. The motive of all this teaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastors teach about godliness not because of some weird desire to be moral policemen, but because of the gospel of God's grace. Have a look there in verse 11. I'm looking forward to the Sunday where we're going to examine this in depth. It is so rich. But just have a quick look at it now. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It is God's grace that saves us. And it is the same grace that mo- it is the motivating power that teaches us to live changed lives. Now to my non-Christian friends who are here today, and it's always fantastic to uh, have uh, people at different stages in their journey of working out things about God. And I know that there are folk here who are still investigating that. And I want to say to you today, this is something so important for you to understand. 
See, we are not saying today that, that you need to start changing your life and start doing more good than bad, and then you're going to earn God's salvation. We are not saying that. Now, this is a popular myth that's out there. It is a terrible heresy. Uh, you cannot make yourself better, not coming to church, not starting to read the Bible. None of these things are going to make you in a place where you're going to make yourself good enough so that God will save you. We cannot earn our salvation. We are incapable of that. Take a look over at chapter 3 with me. Chapter 3 and verse 3. Just to show you this from the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, uh, writing uh, as the apostle to Titus and, and to, to the Christians there in Crete, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, not because of any good things we had done, but because of his mercy. Do you see that there? That is such a precious thing. When we're talking of God's grace, we're saying that at exactly at the point where we were least acceptable to God, when we least deserved it, out of God's kindness and love, he appeared in human history in Jesus, his son, who died in the place of sinners. And he saved us, not because of any good thing in us, but all because of his amazing mercy and grace. And it is this amazing grace that actually motivates us to live differently. It is the amazing grace that we see in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the reason that motivates us to live changed lives of godliness. We need brand new life. We need God to change us from the inside out. And then we'll start living this life that we talk about here. And pastors must teach this doctrine motivated by the gospel of grace. Talking about the Christian life, the Christian lifestyle, godly living, is not about legalistic rules. It's about grace. Uh, This is the only basis for real heart change in our lives. Rules never really change you. You can keep rules for a short time. They're never going to change you. They never change your heart. We need God's grace to change our heart, to make us brand new people from the inside out. That's what we need. And the pastor is motivated by the gospel and he's motivated for the glory of God. Now right through this chapter, right through these practical matters is is a bigger concern. He's teaching the church because he has a much bigger concern than the local church. His eyes are upon the whole island of Crete where these churches are based. And really, this is the truth for us. Our concern is, uh, is about godliness in this church, but our concern is really about Edinburgh as a whole and the lost people within Edinburgh. And you see that all the way through this. Uh, this desire to see the glory of God spread in the cities that they're a part of, in the nation that they're a part of. 
That's what this godliness is about. It is motivated by the desire to see the glory of God revealed and experienced and known by many more people, that people would come to know Jesus and put their trust in Jesus and be changed. That's what's behind all these things. Look at uh, this phrase, so that. If you read through this section, three times you'll see this phrase, so that. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. To be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Godliness is important so that non-Christians look in on a Christian marriage and they don't say, well, that Christianity, it just messes up marriages. What a terrible state they're in. What a battle, what a fight. And they malign the word of God. How useless is this gospel? No. You see, if godless is in place, people will say, how wonderful to see these happy families. How wonderful to see God's grace worked out. There's something in this Bible. 2 verse 8. And soundness of speech. We're back to Titus. And soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you, and the opposition is definitely Uh, on the cards so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because because they have nothing bad to say about us there will be opposition but if there's true godliness the truth will come out the evidence of of how good God is will be shown when when actually when people look at the substance of these charges there's nothing to see or 2 verse 10 uh, of those who are Uh, slaves in the church there verse 10 and not to steal from your bosses your masters but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our savior attractive you can get uh, a great work of art and uh, the focus of attention is the work of art isn't it But when they hang these, they put a frame around it. And the truth is, a good frame can actually bring the picture out even more, even more fully. Its it's glory, its beauty can be revealed even more with the right frame. With the wrong frame, you're too busy looking at how awful the frame is to even notice how good the picture is. You see? That's the picture here. The glorious picture the glorious reality is Jesus God our savior what he's done for us but you know our lives are the frame around it uh, the setting with which people view the glory of the gospel and so pastors must teach godliness must model godliness must teach motivated by the gospel for the glory of God. These are not petty concerns, my friends. Our lives can actually uh, frame the gospel in such a way in our workplace, in our studies, in our neighborhood communities, at the school gates, at school. They can frame it in such a way that people go, there must be something to this Christian gospel. There's something attractive about their lives. Uh, our very own Mez McConnell uh, is uh, our 
sort of uh, the pastor of our daughter church in Nidri. And uh, when Mark Dever was here for the Nine Marks conference, he interviewed Mez's story. You can actually hear Mez talk about his life story at the Nine Marks website. I'd encourage you to go there and download it for free. It's such an encouragement. I listened to it uh, again recently. And for those who don't know Mez, um, he had a terrible childhood. He was uh, very badly abused as a child. And it led to a very angry young man. It led to drug addiction, to violence, to armed robbery of a bank, to time in prison. But during that process, uh, he had met some Christians who shared the gospel with him. He did not welcome the presentation. He did everything in his power to make sure these people knew that he did not like them. They drove up, they shared in their face that they were sinners that they needed the gospel of salvation, that the only hope was Jesus, and if they just turned from their sins and trusted Jesus, they could be saved. And, the, and Mez and his friends were merciless. They, they beat up their cars. They smashed up their cars. They spat at them. They hurled abuse at them. But guess what? These, these Christians came back. I bet they bought second-hand cars at that point. <laughs> but they came back, and they kept talking about the gospel. They didn't back down. Now, this was a very long process. Uh, he ended up in prison. These people visited him in prison. They kept pursuing him. When he was out of prison, they welcomed him into their homes and into their church, rather stayed church. They welcomed him. And he was suspicious and he was always negative. He was always against what was going on. But he, all the time he's looking at their lives. He's looking at their lives. He's seeing the love that's going on in the church and it's like nothing he's ever experienced before. And as he looks at that, he's coming to see this gospel is true. The frame of their lives adorned the gospel. And he says, I I was worn down by their love. And he got saved. And he's doing a great work in Nidri here, sharing the gospel with others. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> this is why this is important. That's why we're going to spend uh, you know, five sessions on this chapter. We have great news to proclaim, and we're in this together. Let's seek his grace, shall we? Let's pray. Our gracious God, we do thank you uh, that while we were far off, you appeared in your son and you brought us to yourself. Rebel sinners, you showered your mercy and grace and love upon us. We thank you, Father, for each one who's experienced that here, who's experienced that new birth. And we pray for everyone here that they would experience that new birth, that changing uh, power of your Holy Spirit to trust the Lord Jesus to, uh, to receive this gospel in its fullness and Lord we pray that you would help us uh, Father we, we thank you for those in our church who really are models to us of godliness we thank you for the many older folk that we can look to and see that they've lived this Christian life now for decades they model these very truths to us we thank you for them And we pray that you'd grow each one of us to be those who model such godliness. Lord, we pray that uh, you would strengthen us 
so there would be something about us as a church that would adorn this, this gospel to this lost city of Edinburgh and to this lost world. And we pray that too again for Johnny and Penny. Thank you.